We're going to continue in our series this morning called The Gift as we march towards Christmas. Um, we're examining or re-examining the greatest gift ever given to the human race, ever given by anyone to anyone. And so we find ourselves in John's gospel in the first chapter. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there to follow along, um, the, last week we, um, we examined the first five verses of John's gospel and saw that um, John was presenting to us this gift and uh, used a word out of the Greek that is the word logos, and it actually is translated into English, the word word. And Jesus um, is the one who is the word, and John uh, revealed that to us and defined to us who he is. And this week, as we continue, we're going to learn more about this gift that God is giving to us. Uh, This gift that we need to uh, be aware of, we need to recognize, and we certainly need to receive. Um, This week we'll be in John chapter 1, verse 6 through 13. And uh, the big idea for the message today is that God came to give new birth. God came to give new birth. Last week we learned that God was the gift. And this week we want to see what God has come to give us. And so new birth into God's family was uh, the biggest reason that Jesus came, the biggest purpose behind his coming. Um, I was reminded this week in talking to someone who comes to this church, the power that family possesses. You know, we all come from a family. We're born into a family, and there's a lot that goes along with that. Our families look different, and some of us, uh, the family um, looked a lot different than, than others. But we all need to belong to a family. And we recognize um, in and through Jesus that he came to, again, give us the ability to be adopted, to be born into his family, reunited with God. And when that happens, Jesus calls us and invites us then into a family like this, a church family. And uh, church families are interesting. You know, they're a little like regular families. They can be a little dysfunctional at times. They can be a little messy. Uh, We get together, not because we necessarily chose each other, which is, again, similar to our earthly families, but we are brought together because God chose us and because we chose him. And so so that kind of makes up the family. But families can be, uh, like I said, a little dysfunctional, a little crazy at times. It's kind of like the, uh, there was a stay-at-home mom who was uh, taking care of her um, little son and, and uh, she got a phone call, her cell phone rang, and so she went to pick up the phone. As she did, she kind of slipped on a carpet. Now she was able to hit the green button to answer the call, but then very quickly the phone fell out of her hand. And as it fell, it hit their little puppy on the back, which caused him to be startled. He started barking and yelping. And then that caused her little three-year-old son to start crying and screaming and, and all chaos just erupts. I know none of you have ever been a part of that, but as she got down to the ground and reached the phone, just as she pulled it to her ear, she heard her husband's voice on the other end say, no one's answered the phone yet, but I know I have the right number. <laughs> Listen, uh, I just want you to know that if you are exploring what it means to follow Jesus, if you're looking uh, to get connected to God or figure out who he is and what he's done for you, or if you've made a decision to trust in Jesus and to follow him, I just want you to know that you belong here because God 
has chosen you. You've chosen him. You're exploring who he is and you need a family. You need to belong to a church family. And this church family is not perfect and we don't claim to be, but it's filled with people who love others. It's filled with people who are willing to open their arms and embrace someone new. And so I'm thankful for this church. And uh, as we've been able to be a part of it over the last few years, just blessed by you and by the people who come here and the spirit that is here, which is a spirit of acceptance and openness. And so we, we choose you because God chose you and because you chose him. John the Evangelist, as he's called in uh, his gospel, as we continue in this uh, section of scripture, today, as I said, we're going to learn that God came to offer new birth. And as we uh, dig into this passage this morning, one of the things that John does for us is he reveals the account in a way that um, shifts a little bit as he's referred to Jesus as the word and kind of identified who the logos is. This week, he shifts a little bit, uses a little different metaphor, a little different terminology for Jesus, and that is the word light. And he's going to uncover for us and reveal, reveal to us who this light is and, and aspects and attributes of the light. But he starts off by uh, teaching us, telling us of a very important character, very important contributor to the story of Jesus' emergence onto the scene here on the earth among us as human beings. God come from heaven, taking on human form. And he's going to tell us, first of all, that the first thing God did in preparation for Jesus, his son, to come to earth is that God sent a prophet to prepare the way. God sent a prophet first to prepare the way. In John chapter 1, follow along as I start reading in verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Uh, John, the evangelist, again, he introduces us to Jesus using the terminology, the word light. And if you were here last week, if you weren't, you may have uh, heard of before that part of what John is addressing in this gospel, the last gospel written, probably in the mid-90s, is he's, he's addressing what would become one of the greatest kind of heresies or influences on the church away from the truth in the early few centuries, probably for the first 400 years. This was a tremendous influence and a battle was fought over this belief system, this, this uh, religion, if you will, philosophy, and it's called Gnosticism. And it still lingers around today in our world, surprisingly. But Gnosticism, as we mentioned last week, was dualism. There is good and evil in the world, kind of like Star Wars, right? There's good and evil forces. And these are the massive impersonal forces that dictate and govern human existence. And light represents good and darkness represents evil. And so John, you can see as he writes here, he is addressing, he's combating that belief system that would influence so many and pull the church, many in the church, away from the truth of the gospel. John addresses it and says, you know, this person, this gift from God came into the world and he is the true light. This word true, obviously in reference to the light, has the idea of authentic, real, exclusive. Gnosticism taught that all light represented good and that really it existed in 
only some small particles of light that found their way mysteriously into the lives of some people, uh, a select few, and you had to have secret information to be able to access the light and see that light come out in your life. And John combats that full on by saying Jesus is the true light and he is accessible to everyone. His light illuminates everyone's life. As we discover and study a little bit about John the baptizer, this one, this man who came to prepare the way, we learn about him in all of the Gospels, but a little more in the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke writes about John and gives us some more, a little more detail, a little more information about how he emerged onto the scene. John tells us that John's parents, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, were of noble uh, uh, lineage. They both came from the line of priestly heritage. They were devout followers of God. They worshiped God. They, they uh, took God seriously and, and honored him in their life. And so they were just a fantastic godly family. And uh, um, Zechariah was even a priest. He served in the temple uh, officially. And at, at the time uh, the story begins, um, Zechariah is serving in the temple. He has a stint, a period of time where he's there. And one of his jobs is to offer incense. And what we learn is that God sends an angel, the angel Gabriel, into um, the temple to meet with Zechariah and to reveal to him what is to come. And angel Gabriel says, um, uh, Zechariah, you and your wife are going to become pregnant and you're going to bear a son and his name is going to be John and he's going to be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. He's going to preach to the people of Israel a message of repentance He's going to be a, a kind of a wild man. He's going to be a little crazy. He'll live out in the wilderness. He'll eat honey and wild locusts. He's going to be a little different, but he's going to come with power. And the nation of Israel will listen to him and they'll turn to God because of him. And that is going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Well, Zechariah being a godly man, he listened to the message that the angel Gabriel delivered to him. The problem is that Zachariah and Elizabeth had been unable to have children, and they were old. They were on in years, past the age of childbearing. And Zachariah, though he's a man of faith, he hears the message from the angel. He knows it's an angel. He knows the message is from God. But he has a question mark in his mind. And so he asks Gabriel, how am I going to know this will really come to pass? Gabriel's response was not gentle. Um, it wasn't even really compassionate. Gabriel said, uh, Zechariah, I come from the presence of God. If God sends me with a message, it is as though it's already been done. <laughs> and Zechariah, you're a man of God, you should, you should know that. He didn't with withdraw the blessing of having the child from Zechariah and Elizabeth because of Zechariah's lack of faith. But he did have to go without speaking. He was struck dumb. He couldn't speak from the time of the angel left until John was born. But it causes me to ask the question, how many times do I maybe question the word of God, the promises of God? How many times do I say, okay, I know what God's word says, but do I really believe that he's going to fulfill what he says? That that really is the truth? Well, 
Zechariah went home after his time of serving, and Elizabeth did become pregnant. And there was great joy in their home, great joy over this blessing. Well, at the, about six months into her pregnancy, her cousin, we think it was her cousin, Mary, a young woman who was not yet married, had an angel, the angel Gabriel, visit her as well. Gabriel came with a little bit different message, but a similar one. Mary, you'll get pregnant, you will conceive a child, and you will uh, bring him uh, to term and deliver this child, and this child's going to be named Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And Mary, of course, (laughs) had a question too, but with a little more sincerity, not a lack of faith, more of how is this going to happen, angel Gabriel? You see, I'm not married. Fair question, a little bit different than Zachariah's question. And of course, the angel Gabriel said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, Mary. It's going to be a miracle. Well, Mary was, to say the least, a bit excited, probably needed to talk to somebody. And so she very quickly ran to the home of Elizabeth, her, again, probably her cousin. They were related in some way. And as she entered the house, she cried out, just addressing Elizabeth, announcing her entrance into the home. And something very interesting happened within Elizabeth that six-month-old John the Baptist, the child who would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born, he jumped in her womb. Can I just tell you that we live in a day where there's question marks about when a human becomes a human being, right? At what moment does a child within a womb become a human being? Um... John the Baptist is six months old. (laughs) He's filled with the Holy Spirit already. He can recognize the entrance of Mary into the home. I really believe that God, well, I don't just believe it. The scriptures tell us that God is actively a part of the creation, the forming of each of our lives, even when we're in our mother's wombs. Psalm 139, right? You knit me together in my mother's wombs. I just want to encourage you, mothers, Those of you who are carrying a child, do not underestimate your baby's ability to connect with the things you say. And I know you talk to them. I got to be around while three of them were formed in my wife's womb. I know you talk to them. Don't underestimate the connection, the power of even the things you say, the the music you play, the, the tone in your home as you bring your child into this life and as you allow them to grow inside of you. um, Children are designed by God, connected to God. And I know when they're born, pretty quickly their sin nature comes out, but they also believe in God. We have a WANA program here. And this last week, uh, it was sharing night, testimony night by uh, the children who come to WANA. And I think it's gonna happen this week again. but, um, But some of those children in sharing their testimonies, It's absolutely amazing the connection they have to God, the faith that they have, the belief in who God is and the knowledge they have that they need him in their life. It's so encouraging to know that though we're uncertain about the future, sometimes we question, is the world getting so dark that children are just going to be lost? Do we even want to bring children into the world? Can I just tell you that God is actively at work grabbing the hearts of our children, pulling them to him, and they're responding in amazing ways. And so I just praise God for that and encourage you to continue to pray and participate in the lives of our children. 
John the Baptist was prophesied, uh, his existence, his entrance into the world was prophesied about back in the Old Testament, Malachi, the last book in the Bible, 400 years before, uh, uh, 400 years of silence before Jesus would come on the scene. And really John the Baptist, the last prophet in the Old Testament era, Malachi 3, the prophet prophesies about his coming. In chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Malachi, he says, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. John the Baptist called the baptizer because of his ministry. He was involved in baptizing the nation of Israel. Ceremonial washing, it was a a progression, a continuation of the practice. And they were being baptized in in a call of repentance. And of course, repentance is to turn from our sin and turn towards God. Literally means to turn around. And John the baptizer came with a powerful message, a call to the people of Israel to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and to move towards God. This would prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Uh, The Apostle Paul, on his third missionary journey as he traveled throughout the Roman Empire, made his way to the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan city within the Roman Empire. And, And Paul made his way there and he met a couple of young men. He got to talking to them and found out they were connected, uh, probably Israelites, and they had dispersed and found themselves in Ephesus. And he began to learn that they were around uh, when Jesus walked the earth, and and they had come to faith of some kind. And he was asking them about it, asking them what baptism they were baptized into. And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said this in Acts 19, verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come, who, who would come later, meaning Jesus. And Paul began to talk to them and share with them who Jesus was, presented the gospel to them, and they came to faith in Jesus because of the work of John the Baptist in preparing the way for them. Do you know that God prepares the way for each and every person that comes to faith in him? He prepares the way. Do you and are you recognizing the things happening in your life that are paving the way for you to follow God, to walk with him? I know in this season, it seems in our community and probably in our country, but in our church, there's a lot of people going through difficult times, health issues, crisis, difficult, difficult things. Under pressure, under attack, it feels like in a lot of ways. And I know uh, from my own life and as a pastor that those seasons of difficulty come into our lives and they cause pressure and strain to us. And it can cause us to move away from God. But there's also a wonderful opportunity in those times of pressure, pain, and difficulty. And that is that we can be drawn to God. My prayer is that this season of difficulty for many would result in a deeper connection to God in a decision to follow him and to walk with him. Well, the next section in this passage is a little discouraging. The first is an encouragement, right? The light came into the world. The light's for everyone. The light's the true light. That is Jesus. And then we find that, um, that John the Baptist came to prepare the way. Next, we're going to see that um, though God himself came to live among us, there was an inability on the part of most 
to even recognize the truth of who he was. Our next passage of scripture, a few verses, will reveal to us this, that God came into the world, but most did not recognize him. Let's continue reading in John chapter 1 and verse 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He is the true light that gives light to everyone. He came into the world to reveal that truth, to reveal who God really is and what goodness really is, and to make us able to follow him and to walk with him. And yet, the difficult truth is, is that the world in which, uh, that, that Jesus himself had created, for the most part, was unable to recognize who he was. That word recognize, when it says the world that he, he, though he created the world, didn't recognize him, that has the idea behind it of knowing or understanding. The world that Jesus created did not recognize who he was, their very creator. How heartbreaking is it to realize that for most of the human race, there has been such a drift away from the people we were intended to be, the way in which we were intended to live, our true identity. There's been such a drift away from that that we can't even, for the most part, recognize our need for God, who he is, that we need a relationship with him. For many, though we were created to be a part of God's family, it's unrecognizable that we came from him. You know, uh, in ministering in this church, in a community, um, Mary and I, in getting to know people, every once in a while, we'll discover a family connection. And I'll go home and, get, and say, honey, you'll never, you'll never believe it, but I found out today that this person is related to this person. And she's like, sweetie, everybody in western Nebraska is related to each other. No. <laughs> No, it's just fun, though. It's kind of fascinating like, to be able to discover those. You know, and a lot of times, you can, you can see it. You know, my wife's family has a very distinct look. And so you can identify, for the most part, you know, that they're a part of the same family. So sometimes there's those physical traits that we can see and identify. Um, I've got, uh, we have a son and daughter-in-law who live here in Morrill, and they've got two little girls, Shiloh and Ivy. And Ivy's the youngest one. And when she was first born, you know, I posted pictures of her, you know, so excited. And, and someone posted on there and said, that child looks just like you. I said, do not put that on her. She's going to be a beautiful young woman. She's going to look like her mom, not her grandpa. But, you know, sometimes we can see those family connections. We can identify it through the way we look. And if we can't see it that way, then there's behavior. There's the way we act, right? And so we can see behaviors in families. And so that's why sometimes we'll say, you know, we'll see a son, right, do something. And we go, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? That's predictable that he would do that. Sometimes that's not said in the kindest of terms. But, you know, we say those kind of things. And then if we see a, a child um, acting in a way that's kind of outside what their family would do, we say, well, they weren't raised that way. They should know better than that, you know. We recognize these connections. Sometimes our family traits are things we're proud of. Maybe you have some of those. Sometimes our family traits may not be so proud of. Some of them we wish we could just kind of hide and nobody would know about them. Um, 
little Johnny was at church one day, I think it was Mother's Day, and his little brother was dedicated. And so uh, it was a great morning in church, but on the way home, he's crying in the car, uncontrollably sobbing. And his dad's like, Johnny, what's wrong? What's wrong? He just cried. He wouldn't say anything. Johnny, what's wrong? We just had a great day in church. What's going on? And finally, little Johnny slowed down his sobbing enough to say, Dad, it was a great morning in church, but the pastor said he wanted us to be raised in a Christian home, but I wanted to stay with you guys. I know, sorry. <clears throat> um, but, but here's the deal. Sometimes our families, yeah, maybe not exactly what we'd hoped for, what we're desirous of. Sometimes we realize that over time. But the truth is, in this passage, God is revealing the reality that there had been such a shift in the uh, human race whose origins are found in God himself made in God's image, made to act like God, made to look like God, to behave like God. And yet because of sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve, because of our own sin and rebellion, we walk so far away from God himself and away from the identity we were meant to have that we couldn't even recognize him when he came to earth. We couldn't even see who he really was. And then we have the Hebrew people that God says they didn't just not recognize Jesus because they were looking for a Messiah. They knew the Messiah would come. They were, they were looking. They were desirous. They were hopeful. They thought, oh, man, we're going to have a great uh, king who's going to come and triumph, and the whole world's going to know who he is, and he's going to sweep us away into a new era. It's going to bring back the kingdom of God, and the throne of King David will be restored, and Israel will be great again. And then they have Jesus, who kind of looked like a homeless guy. He wandered around the countryside talking to anybody. He spent time with tax collectors and drunkards, prostitutes. This can't be our Messiah. They didn't just not recognize him. Israel, it, with one voice, pretty much said, no, we do not want you. You are not the Messiah that we want. The sad part is that recognition, whether it was recognition or rejection, the result was the same, and that is that the human race by and large, made a catastrophic error when God himself came to earth as a gift to come to bring life and restoration. Most did not receive him in any way. But God knew. He knew that would happen. He almost came in a way that would require people's hearts to really be seeking him, right? And so Jesus came intentionally the way he came. And he lived the way he lived so that only those who would be seeking him would find him. And yet what he came to do was to bring newness to the human race. To restore and heal what had been broken. He came to offer new birth into God's family. Let's read the final verses of our text this morning. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Born again. What does it mean to be born again? What is God talking about? What is Jesus referring to? What is this new birth 
this rebirth or being born again? Or how does that even happen? What does it involve? Well, some things we see from the scriptures that identify for us and define what this new birth is, is uh, first of all, it's spiritual. It's a spiritual rebirth. It doesn't involve physically being born again. Um, that's not what it is talking about. But it is a rebirth or a new birth that involves our inner person. The, the part of us that was made to interact and commune with God. See, there's a problem in that part of us. It's broken, it's atrophies. It doesn't exist anymore. Our ability to connect with God is gone as human beings. And yet God came to give us new birth. And part of that new birth involves the restoration of that aspect of who we are, that our spirit is regenerated. And so it's a spiritual birth, doesn't involve, uh, it, it, it is spiritual in, in nature, excuse me, but it does involve the whole person. When we're born again, uh, something happens, that uh, uh, presence of God within us, that restoration of our ability to connect with God through the regeneration of our spirit allows us to commune with God, to have a relationship. And what does this result in? Well, it results in our thoughts changing. The things we believe, the things we know are true, are transformed. And so we, be be we begin to believe what God says. And this transforms the way we live. When what we believe changes, it results in a different way of living. Our actions are different. Our behaviors are changed. And this results in a change of emotion. We care about the things God cares about. Our hearts are moved by the things that God is moved by. This allows us to experience a whole transformation of who we are. We become a new person. Well, it, this new birth also involves adoption into God's family. That gives us a new identity. We are created to walk with God, to exist with him, to be a part of his family. And yet sin separates us. But when we're born again, when our spirit is regenerated and renewed, we have an ability to connect with God. And we're in his family and we start to live like his children. And that family connection become, uh, comes back to the surface and we can see and others can see that we really are a part of his family. And we belong to him. Our identity changes altogether. It also includes a personal relationship with God. Instead of throwing up Hail Mary prayers, God, I'm in trouble, please save me. Uh, you know, I got a test, God help me. I know I didn't study, but give me the information. You know, instead of those things, we got a relationship with God. We know we can walk with him. He is present in our lives and we can sense his presence. We know he's there and we talk to him as we go throughout our day, as we go throughout our life. We're not alone we're not distant from him, but he's close. He's with us. And so we walk with him in communion and we have a deep relationship with him that can grow over time. Our awareness of who he is. We can hear it when he whispers to us. When he gives us direction, we can sense it and we respond. This is the power of being born again. You have a relationship, personal relationship with God. Well, the last thing is that, and there's many things that um, being born again involves, but another thing is that it ensures that we are held by God and we will be transitioned when we leave this life into his presence and that we'll spend all eternity with him. We'll have a new body that will be perfect. We will, have, uh, we will live in a new heaven and a new earth in his presence and we will live for all eternity with the God who made us. There is absolute certainty 
an assurance of that to be true and to be fulfilled by the God who saved us when we are born again. This concept of being born again was introduced again by Jesus. And one of the individuals that he talked with about it was actually a religious leader. He was a Pharisee, as they were known. He was part of the religious elite in Jesus' day. And, uh, you know, the Pharisees were the elite. They were the religious leaders of Israel, and they had some governmental power as well. And so um, their official position about Jesus was that he was... um, He was misinformation or he was fake news, right? He was not correct. Um, He was not the Messiah. He did not come from God. And so they were trying to counter him. They would come against him when he would teach and challenge him and try to expose him as the false Messiah they believed that he was. This was the official position of the Pharisees, the religious elite, the power players in the nation of Israel. And yet some of them, some of them were watching some of them recognized that there was something more to him. They were intrigued. One of those individuals was a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus to meet with him. He came at night uh, so no one would see him and expose him. He came in secret and he, he said, Jesus, some of us know we really believe that you're from God and we can hear in what you say, you know, you're wise and good teaching. And Jesus, of course, pressed very quickly in on Nicodemus. Uh, He challenged him and he said, Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, a spiritual leader, what are you talking about? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? I'm a grown man. How's that supposed to happen? Jesus said, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. And so he had an interaction with him in John chapter three, starting verse eight. Jesus replied to his confusion about being born again. He said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when you say, or when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. We all know it starts in Wyoming and then it goes everywhere else. But, but Jesus says you can't tell where it's... Um, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Born of water, born of the Spirit. Jesus says there's a particular way in which this happens, Nicodemus, and it's supernatural and it's spiritual. And the role that these things play in your life usher in this new birth. They bring about the restoration, the regeneration of your soul and spirit. Nicodemus, you need to understand this. You are a spiritual leader. And so Jesus is introducing and pressing into Nicodemus the reality of the need to be regenerated, to have his spirit renewed. Again, as we're born into this life, we're born into sin. And we need God's mercy and grace to bring us to a place of restoration with God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin, our behavior, our rebellion against God is to be separated from him for all eternity. And yet God, because of his mercy, he came to us with a gift. An offer of restoration, regeneration renewal. In Titus chapter 3, we see an explanation 
of this again in a little more detail with some different nuances to it. Titus chapter 3 in verse 3 goes this way. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. One of the markers of a person who puts her trust in Christ and has their spirit renewed, regenerated, it comes to life, they get connected to God, is their hatred of people changes. Slowly it's transformed from anger towards people and their behavior to love and compassion. It's one of the markers of a person who has come to Christ and is living in and for him. He goes on to say this though, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. The transformation, the regeneration and renewal um, in the King James, it describes that his mercy saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration to bring, bring back into existence our spirit. The part of us, the aspect of who we are that was meant to connect with God, to walk in relationship with him. It's renewed, it's brought back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit who enters our life and begins to work our acceptance of Jesus to receive him into our lives allows the Holy Spirit to come in and do this work of regeneration, to cut away our sin nature and to allow us to live the way God intended us to live. If you put your trust in Jesus, you're born again, you're born anew. You have a new spirit. Your spirit has been brought back to life and it gives you a new identity. And your identity now is that you are a child of the most high God. I want to encourage you in a time in our world where the messages that come at us and into us uh, are many. The lies that we have to listen to, that we battle with in our inner person are significant. They're intense. You must hear. You must be focused on the truth. The truth that God says about you is if you put your trust in me, you belong to me. You're my child. And you can live the way I want you to live, the way I designed you to live. Uh, This weekend, um, Pastor Luke had an event down at the Chuck Wagon Church. And uh, there was many who shared testimonies. And one young person shared a testimony of uh, of battling with their identity. Feeling as though they had... uh, uh, attractions to the same gender, right? And so they're battling with that identity, thinking that's who I am, is I am a person meant to have relationships with people in the same gender. This is who I am, this is who I was made to be. And yet, um, encountering the person of Jesus and having Jesus begin to transform them into a new person and having the realization that with the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life and the ability to connect to God and understand him and listen to his truth to recognize the true identity, that that was a lie. And it brought about a restoration of this individual and a renewal of who they are. A person made in the, intro, in the, in the uh, image of God, designed to be like him. 
And so this is the power of what took place. And in this individual shared that and was powerful to hear uh, of a new identity and a new life in Jesus. I want to encourage you that you're made in the image of God. You're designed to live like your father who created you. You're designed to live in the way he wants you to live and you can. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we will move to surrender our lives to him that will continue to prepare our way for this gift of Jesus who will celebrate uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and that we will live our lives for him. God, thank you for um, the way that you've offered us new life. You've offered us the ability to be changed and transformed into your image and to live the way you designed for us to live. God, I pray that you would help us to surrender to you, to live out of that identity. Help us to stay focused on your voice and to stay focused on your presence within us so that we can find power as we live our lives for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.